All right, does everybody have a handout from our ushers here tonight? Okay, everybody have a Bible. Yes. Well, tonight we go from, last week was Romans, which is the longest of Paul's letters. This week we have the shortest letter. So we can spend time talking, we can talk, we can pick apart every single word and figure out the Greek background for every word and every place it's used, um, maybe not that level of in-depth. But we can definitely get through all of Philemon in one night. Um, let's start with a prayer. And then we'll do some of the, the background material and we'll read through the whole thing. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the apostles who you appeared to in the resurrection, who you commissioned, who you gave authority to, and who you inspired by your Holy Spirit to write down your word um, so that we may have it now. We pray that you would bless our study of Paul's letter to Philemon, that we may learn from it um, those things that you would want us to learn and that we may put it into practice uh, in our own place and time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, Philemon. How many of you know can tell me something about Philemon? We'll see what you know before we start going into what we don't know. Do we know anything about Philemon? What do you know, Sam? He was human. He was human. Okay. Anything else? Jim? Philemon owned some slaves. Okay. And one slave ran away. And that's what the letter of Philemon is basically about. Okay. The, one of the big themes here is um, slavery and freedom. Slavery and freedom. We're going to see that in just the language that Paul uses um, and also in like the basic, what we've been calling like, what was the occasion for this letter? Why did Paul write this letter? And Jim kind of just summarized it for us. Okay. Well, I mean, he just wanted to send, um, I can't remember, I can't remember um, Onesimus. Okay. To send him back to his, um, his master. Yes. And uh, to let him know that he's a Christian now and he's your brother in Christ as well as he is mine. Yes. So there you go. You can close the book and go home. Jim just taught you. <laughs> you, you taught us the whole thing. Okay. But, That's right on. But I still want to say that the most important thing I read out of all of this was the contrast between slavery at that time and the slavery that we know of as. Sure. Today. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about yeah, slavery has taken many forms and fashions, and we can talk about similarities and differences for sure. Mike, what do you know about Philemon? Well, it's, it's not that I know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking. Okay. That, you know, there was always someone who had that, okay, he was once a slave, but he's a Christian, he's free, but he's free in more than one way. Sure, yeah, and does his freedom in Christ mean that he. Um, is no longer going to be a slave, or does he keep on being a slave? Um, and we'll talk about one of the things, you know, Christianity is not a revolutionary um, religion. And you'll see, um, it might surprise you that Paul does not say, hey, let all your slaves go free. You know, that's nowhere in the New Testament. There's not this command, there's no emancipation proclamation from the apostles to free all the slaves. Um, at the same time, you're going to see in this letter, Paul does say, uh, do what's right, and we'll talk, we'll, we can think through that a little bit. Okay? Anything else we know about Philemon? 
All right. So let's start then with what we don't know. Where did Philemon live? Um, or, or when was this written? How did, what did I put them in order on your handout? Where was Philemon's church? Okay. So there's three people mentioned, and we're going to read the whole thing in just a minute, but there's three people mentioned, Philemon, Apphia, and Ar- Archippus. Those are the three named person, a man, a woman, and another man. Probably a husband, a wife, and a son. Okay? And it's significant that all three are named. Right? It's not just the man, the head of the house. Right? The Bible certainly teaches that the husband is the head of the wife, the wife is the body of the husband, but um, she doesn't get ignored. She gets named here. So Philemon, Apphia, and then the son, Archippus, are all named. He is also mentioned, that son, Archippus, is mentioned at the end of the letter to Colossians. And so he's, he's listed out there as having a ministry to carry out in either the city of Colossae or the city of Laodicea, which, of course, you all know right where those places are, right? Um, this, is in, uh, this is between Ephesus and Colossae in what the Romans called Asia. Now, when we think of Asia, we think of China, Japan, right? This is much more like kind of think between Turkey and Greece. Turkey and Greece. That's, the, that's kind of the, the modern um, world where we're talking about here, okay? And so it's likely that this church was either in Colossae, Colossae or Laodicea. And the, the kind of upshot of that is just so you know where it is, for one thing, and also because um, it's likely that when Paul wrote Colossians, he also wrote Philemon. He wrote them at the same time and sent them with the same pigeons. Right? They didn't use pigeons, of course. How did Paul get his letters from where he was to where they were going? People, right? The pastors. That was one of the pastor's main job. Go see Paul. And then he would say, all right, Timothy, I need you to go to Corinth and straighten them out. And Timothy would say, aye, aye, sir, right? Reporting for duty. And he would get a letter and he would go with his papers and carry it out. Now, um, that's where Philemon is, okay? Um, Now, where was Paul when he wrote it? On the board here, I've got all the epistles listed out. Here's the ones we've done so far. Galatians, earliest epistle. 1 Thessalonians we looked at, and 2 Thessalonians we didn't. First um, and 2 Corinthians, and then Romans, right? And you remember from last week, Paul wrote Romans before he got there, right? So he wrote, that's the only epistle he wrote to a place he had never been to. And he wrote it to say, hey, I'm coming to you next, so get ready. When I get there, it's going to be great. All right, here's what we're going to, here's what we're all about. And he spelled it all out, right? Um, but how did he get to Rome? Well, he got to Rome, if you know the story of Paul's life, he got to Rome in uh, what we would probably say were less than ideal circumstances. So I'm going to kind of take you through that story. Turn in the book of Acts to Acts 21, because Philemon... And these other letters here, Colossians, Philemon's, Ephesians, and Philippians, are all called the the captivity letters. They were written when Paul was under arrest. And I just want you to know, 
um, how it happened that Paul got arrested. So in Acts 21, you have the story of his arrest. And we're going to start at verse 27. He's come back home to Jerusalem. He's gone up to the temple. And he was carrying out what seemed like um, a Nazarite vow, which, of course, we know exactly what the Nazarite vow is. Okay? Um, right? Yeah. Everybody say yes. Yeah, we know about the Nazarites. So we're not going to look into that right now. But here's what happened when he got to the temple. Verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, which is where Philemon was from, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. So, why is Paul in trouble? Well, here's the accusation. He's speaking against the people of Israel. He's speaking against the law of Moses. And he's speaking against the temple. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple. Ugh, dirty Greeks. And he defiled this holy place. Okay, so Paul is guilty of not just kind of speaking against things he shouldn't speak against. He's also committed the sin of um, desecration. He's desecrated the temple. Yes. And he's, yeah, he's guilty for nothing, but in their eyes, he's very guilty. Who does this remind you of? Who got in trouble for these same things? Jesus, right? The life of Christ gets repeated in the life of the apostles, okay? So then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that's the Roman guy, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the, and the soldiers, they, the Jews, stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. So he gets chains on his hands and on his feet. He's in, he's in chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. And then you can, we won't read the rest of the story. But that's what he's arrested for, okay? And he's arrested in Jerusalem. Now, he doesn't stay in Jerusalem. If you kind of scan through the next couple chapters, we're not going to go um, verse by verse here, but he makes a defense of himself, and they don't like that, right? They don't, he speaks, he's his own lawyer. He's on trial. He's giving his defense, um, and they're not particularly impressed. So they say, away with such a fellow from the earth. They want to kill him. But the Romans, here's kind of this interesting thing that happens. The Romans keep stopping the Jews. The Romans are protecting Paul. They keep protecting Paul. So if you skip down then to chapter 23, you can see where he goes after Jerusalem. He's still under arrest, but he's being kept safe in prison. And then in chapter 23, here's what it says. Then the, the Roman governor, um, like Pontius Pilate, 
it's not Pilate anymore, but same, same uh, official position. He called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers and 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. That's the middle of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And then he wrote him a letter all about, you know, why is everybody trying to kill Paul? So they get him out of Jerusalem, but he's still under arrest. And he goes up to a place called Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, which is right on the, um, has anyone ever been to Middle East, Holy Land place? Sue Doring is always my person. She's not here tonight. Um, but you can go there today. You can walk in the footsteps of Paul. You can walk in the footsteps of Jesus. It's a port, port city, port town. Um, very important. Who's it named after? Caesarea? Caesar. So it was, it was built by King Herod, but it was built to honor Caesar. Herod was always um, ingratiating himself to Caesar, um, and he was very successful at that. So he gets up to Caesarea, and then um, chapter 25, this, you'll, you're probably familiar with this part of the story. He stays there in Caesarea for a little while. The Jews keep coming up from Jerusalem and saying, hey, this guy's guilty. You need to put him to death. And the Roman uh, governor is always kind of like, well, maybe. I'm not exactly sure if he's guilty or not. Um, he keeps kind of stalling. Remember how Pilate did sort of the same with Jesus? This man's innocent. Why should I kill him? Well, because he's guilty. <laughs> and eventually Pilate gave in. Um, but with Paul, the Romans keep kind of running interference. And then we get this in chapter 25. Now Festus... Wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. So these are famous. This is a famous part in Paul's life. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you shall go. And from there, he gets, that's how Paul gets to Rome. Just like he planned, right? <laughs> Just like he told the Romans, hey, I'm going to get dragged to you in chains. And it, this whole, t the time span here, we, we don't, we're not going to note it in the text, but it's like two years from the time he's arrested to the time that they finally send him off to Rome. Um, it's quite a bit of time has elapsed. And so between the time he wrote to the Romans and the time he actually got there, probably about two years have gone by. And uh, it gets more interesting if you keep skimming through the book of Acts here. You can see he defends himself again in chapter 26. And then they send him off uh, in, a, in a boat. And what happens to the ship that he's on? Shipwreck. And he ends up on the island of Malta, which is where everyone, you should all go to Malta. Um, that's like a good honeymoon spot, right? You can go and small little island in the Mediterranean Sea. You can send your pastor there when he's been with you for like 10 years. <laughs> hint, hint. 
Um, you can send your pastor to Malta to show him how much you love him. And, uh, and when he gets to Malta, it's kind of interesting. Everywhere else, when he goes there, right, he goes to the synagogue and he tells them about Jesus. Well, when he gets to Malta, he's on this, you know, he's with the natives, and they can't understand his language. He doesn't understand them. Um, the most exciting part of being on Malta, he gets bit by a snake. And they, they figure, okay, this guy was shipwrecked. Then he got bit by a poisonous snake. He must be cursed by the gods. That's what we all would conclude, right? Um, but Paul shakes the snake off and just goes right on. He shakes it into the fire, right? And he just goes right on. And so they conclude, wow, he must be blessed by the gods, right? Um, because he survived the shipwreck and poison doesn't seem to affect him. So he must be blessed. And so they help him out a little bit. And then he gets sent on um, finally to Rome. And look at that part. This is where we'll end our little historical recap. Go to chapter 28, verse 17. Very interesting what happens when he gets to Rome. Now remember, in Jerusalem, Paul was public enemy number one. And they kept, everywhere he went, they kept trying to get him killed. Okay? But now, some time has gone by, and when he finally makes it to Rome, after being shipwrecked and snake-bitten and marooned on the island of Malta, finally gets to Rome, here's what it says. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews... And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing wrong against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation." For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you. Who's he talking to? The Jews, right? Just like he always does whenever he goes somewhere, he talks to the Jews first. Um, I've asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. So he's still in chains. And they said to him, we don't know who you are. <laughs> right? Isn't that what it says? We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. So this is very interesting to me because everywhere else Paul goes, they, he's famous, right? He's, he's either, well, you decide, is he famous or infamous, right? But now it's like we've never even heard of you, right? You... I don't know, you're basically a dead man. He's, he died and now he's come back and nobody knows who he is. But what do they know? And remember, this is at the end of Paul's ministry now. He has become a nobody, but listen to what it says. Um, we have received no letters from Judea about you. None of the other brothers here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So nobody knows Paul anymore, but what do they know about? Jesus, the Christians, right? It's perfect. Probably just the way Paul wanted it, right? He has, his identity has become nothing, 
But everybody knows, now it's not like everybody loves Jesus, but at least everybody here has heard about Christ. And so he talks to them and, um, and then skip down to the end. Here's how the book of Acts ends. Um, it's kind of a happy ending. Verse, verse 30. He lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense. And now he's still in chains, so he's still a prisoner, but he's, he's not in, you know, jail. He's not in prison. He's under house arrest. Well, because the Romans, he's still a, a Roman prisoner. He appealed to Caesar, but he never, it's interesting, he never actually goes. We don't have the account of whether Caesar ever heard his case or not. He, his paperwork got lost. <laughs> you know, he was, he was forgotten about. And, and that's what's so strange about him is that he's this, um, you know, he's this guy who's pursued and they want to kill him everywhere he goes, and then he gets completely forgotten. No, everybody who was on board, he said, if you stay with me, you'll survive. And they did. Instead of the Romans protecting him, now he, the church, protects the Romans, kind of. There's, there's a lot going on here, and it would be fun to uh, study it all out. But here's, here's the point. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. So all kinds of people are coming. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So he's a prisoner. He's not free to go wherever he wants, but he's still carrying out his ministry. And it's in that context that he writes these four letters. And the one that we're going to read about uh, now is Philemon. Okay? Well, I think he was still wearing chains. If you look back up, uh, where did it say? Verse, we read it a minute ago, when he said, have you heard about me? <laughs> and they said, nope, we don't know who you are. Yeah, verse 20 that I am wearing this chain. So, so he never got, the Romans never like said, hey, we trust you now, we're going to set you free. They still kept him under some kind of chain, uh, but he has, right. It's, it's kind of a roomy, uh, it's the kind of house arrest that you get when you're famous, you know? Yes, right, yeah, it's, a high secu- it's not high security, it's not um, solitary confinement, he's, he's got a lot of liberties, but he's, he is still a prisoner, okay? So go to uh, Philemon, which comes right before Hebrews, and if you're not careful, you're, you'll skip right past it, or if you're using an iPad, um, you'll scroll right past it, right, Nita? Nita just wanted to show off, by the way, I got to pick on her a little bit, she... She just wanted to show off that, uh, that, she, <laughs> that she's, she's not like us Luddites, you know, using uh, paper books. She's using the fancy stuff with all, like all the kids do. Young at heart, right, Nita? Okay, Philemon. So we got Philemon here, and I think what we'll do, um, you can see on the paper there, Here's the, here's the little summary. What was the occasion for Philemon? Philemon is said to be one of the two personal letters of the apostle, along with 2 Timothy. However, that distinction is a little bit misleading for two reasons. 
First, Philemon is also addressed to Philemon's church. So even though it's more, quote-unquote, personal, it's not like this was just some note he scribbled. It's still addressed to the church. Okay. Secondly, as the letter indicates, there's really no distinction between Paul's private life, his personal life, and his public or professional life. So sometimes you hear that with like our politicians. There's like the things they have to say when they're on, right? Well, I've got to support the party line, but if you come and talk to me privately, you know, then I can really say what I think. There's no, there's no divide for the apostles between public life and private life. It's all one thing. It's all their apostolic life. They're always on. They're always on duty. Okay? Um, the situation that this epistle addresses, Jim already summarized it for us, um, and we'll, we'll talk it through in a minute, uh, but is the return of a runaway slave, Onesimus, to his master, Philemon. The epistle is a beautiful appeal by the Apostle Paul on behalf of the now converted Onesimus for the voluntary loving restoration by Philemon. Okay, and so that'll give you just kind of the, the mindset here. Let's actually read the thing and let's do the whole thing and then we can talk about um, some individual parts or individual themes. Okay, so Philemon Caleb, would you read for us uh, Philemon? Go um, verse 1. Do you want, can you do the whole thing for us? All right, do the whole thing for us. Paul, a prisoner from Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia. I call right this with my own hand. 
time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, uh, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You recognize some of those names, right? Mark? Mark and Luke, those are the evangelists who wrote the Gospels, Mark and Luke. Um, the other guys, you, you may or may not recognize their names. But Demas does get mentioned in another place, and I think Aristarchus, you could, if you have a Bible that has little, uh, what's called cross-references, you know, compare this verse with this verse, you could trace out where else those guys appear. But these are the, Paul's fellow workers, his runners, No, no, they're, his, they're the ones who are coming to him, taking care of him, and then also telling him, hey, Paul, here's what's going on in Philippi. Uh, what should we do? And then Paul says, okay, go back and boom, 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 boom. And here, take this epistle with you. Yeah. Okay? Um, all right, so there's the epistle. You can see in there the mention, sort of the, the occasion for the letter, is this guy named Onesimus. Onesimus means useful, a useful one. So if you want to call uh, somebody useful, you, call, you say, you're my little Onesimus, right? Um, my dad would say, you guys need to be more like Onesimus uh, when we weren't cleaning our rooms or whatever we were supposed to be doing. Um, but the idea here is Onesimus used to be Philemon's slave, and you can hear in there what Jim mentioned, look at verse, uh, verse 10. Paul, said, Paul puts it this way. Whose father I became in my imprisonment. Okay? So we don't get the full detail of Onesimus' conversion, but you can imagine how this played out, right? Um, Onesimus runs away, and he probably took money with him. He probably not only was a runaway slave, but he was probably also a thief. Why do I say that? Because Paul says, whatever he owes you, I'll pay, right? You can charge it to my account. So the thought here is, and again, we don't have all the details. It doesn't say, you know, he stole 1,100 pieces of silver from, from you. Yeah. But he does say he took some money from you, he ran off, um, and... Like we mentioned last week, all roads lead to Rome. Why would, why would Onesimus go to Rome? Okay, there's probably a lot to spend, uh, yeah, you, there's a lot to do in Rome. Also, if you're, one sla if you're a runaway slave, what are you always worried about? Somebody, somebody finding you, right? And so the best place to go is where you're one little ant in the whole, you know, big colony. And Rome is the biggest city, so he can hide out there. Um, nobody's going to find him in Rome. Okay? But who does he meet in Rome? Paul. And we don't know how it happened that he met Paul. Could have been, uh, right, that seems like Philemon was the head of this church. And so maybe Paul had known Philemon. Maybe Paul had even been in the house when Onesimus was there. And maybe Onesimus had heard Paul preach or something. And so he gets to Rome and he says, well, here's somebody I know. And it just happens that over 
the course of time, he's hanging around with Paul and he is converted, right? And Paul says, not only is he converted, not only does he become a Christian, but he becomes Paul's, he becomes his child, he becomes his son, he becomes very useful to Paul. So he was probably a, some kind of a, a deacon or a pastor, some kind of uh, elder, some, some kind of figure in the church there in Rome, and he's not just a member of the congregation. Okay? Um, when I say not just, you know what I mean? I don't mean you know, one of those lowly people, right? Um, every Christian is on the same level, but he's got some kind of uh, calling, some kind of work to do. And we don't know how long he was doing that for in Rome. But now Paul says, I want your permission, right? But you know, he could have made this epistle a lot shorter, couldn't he? It's already the shortest one. But how could Paul, if, he, if all he wanted to do was get Onesimus back, how, what would be the shortest way he could have written this epistle? Yep. Take him, send him back. He could have just given him two simple commands. You have to do this. You, I'm the Apostle Paul. You're a Christian, but this is what you have to do. You have to forgive him, and you have to send him back. And he, Paul says, I could have done that, right? Look at verse 8. This would be, there'd be nothing wrong with me doing that. Um, and Caleb, you laughed about something else that he wrote. Um, what you, it sounded like you laughed. Yeah. Yeah, not only does Onesimus, Paul converts Onesimus, but I would, I would guess here that when Paul says, look at verse 20, remember that you owe me your very self. Okay, so we'll look at that in a minute. I'm sorry, it was verse 19. You owe me your very self. We'll look at Galatians 6 in a minute, but you guys can figure this out. You don't need the cross-reference. What is it? Why does Philemon owe Paul his very self? Because Paul converted Philemon. Yeah, that's not hard to, to figure out either here. So Paul converts Philemon, sets him free in Christ, right? Um, and that's probably, that's my guess is what Galatians is going to say is that every man who's a Christian is free in Christ. Um, but now Paul says, you know, hey, just by the way, remember, you owe me your very self, right? Not just $100, but you owe me your soul. Now, it's, it's one, you can read this whole epistle in a very kind of cynical way or a um, suspicious way. You can read it as if Paul is sort of making Philemon do what Philemon doesn't want to do, right? Um, almost like you could read this as a very passive-aggressive thing. I could command you, but I'm not gonna. Remember, you owe me your very self, right? This is like mom putting on the guilt trip, right? You could read it that way. I don't think that's what Paul is doing here. I don't think Paul is a guilt-tripping mother, um, one, because I just refuse to think that that's what the apostles are doing. I refuse to think that the Holy Spirit inspires a maternal guilt trip on Philemon. Okay? 
Now, it works, doesn't it, moms? Guilt tripping works, which is why moms and wives do it, right? And fathers, I mean, it's not just, but it's usually moms and wives. You can lay on the guilt. But I think here, and, and maybe this is a good way to get at this, what is gained by not just doing the two commands, forgive him and send him back? What is gained by going to this length of saying, instead of giving you a command, I appeal to you, Philemon? Okay. Just yeah, yeah. It's. I think that's right on. What? Anybody else want to say something on this? Paul. Paul. Yeah. Where was that? Compulsion. Um. Yes. 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 What verse are you looking at there? Yeah, okay, just so we're all looking at the same thing. Everybody look at verse 14. I preferred to do nothing without your consent. Interesting. Um, Nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but but of your own accord. Yeah, yeah. Right? And this, this different, here's the difference. If, if Paul wanted to make it very short, very brief, he could have. Everybody with me on that? Forgive him, send him back. And Jesus, you know, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, you forgive him. Right? There's, there are places in the New Testament where that is law. That's the Christian law. You have to do that. And this is always the, um, the difficulty whenever there's some kind of Um, You know, whether it's in a family, in a church, just between two friends, there's always this, well, I know I have to forgive him. And so I guess if I have to, then I will, right? But doing things out of compulsion is of a, there's a very different feel to how something is done when it's done freely. And what Paul is doing here is saying, Philemon, I want, I'm giving you that opportunity here And not just for Philemon, but for the whole church. I'm giving you the opportunity to show your maturity in Christ. Right? Um, So think of think of Paul speaking here as a father. Right? When kids are little, fathers just give commands: clean your room, put the dishes away, clean out the dishwasher. What else do I tell you guys to do? Sweep the floor. Right? And I don't, I don't tell them, boys, I want you to think about why you're doing this. I want you to think about, you know, how much you love your mother and how much she cares for you and how important it is that the whole house works together. But by the time they're 13, 14, 15, you, can, you still got to give them commands, but you also need to start saying, all right, this needs to be coming from you. I'm not always going to be there, (laughs) right? Dad is not always going to be there watching over your shoulder saying, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And so the internalization, right, the law has to be internalized. Um, Most of you in this room have had children. This is the hard part, isn't it? When they're little, you can compel them. And if they don't listen to you, when they're little, what can you do? You can pick them up 
and you can spank them, right? And the Bible says you should do that, right? Uh, I wish we had some more of our young parents here. I'm not in favor of, uh, certainly, of beating your children, um, but the Bible does say, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? Physical, corporal punishment is not sinful. It's not wrong. But the harder step is the next step, which is I need my kids at some point, they have to internalize it for themselves. And what I love here, I've never studied Philemon, never taught on Philemon. I love it because that's what stands out to me, is this, Paul wants Philemon to have you internalize this, Philemon. I'm not going to command it of you, but I'm going to appeal to you. And we're going to see if you've internalized it. Yes, Nita. Has she internalized your teaching? <laughs> Don't answer that. Keep going. <laughs> do you want to write a parenting? Do you want to write a parenting book with me, Nita? <laughs> yeah, that's that's great, and she remembered it, right? Um, and that that really is the challenge of becoming a mature is to say, all right, what's been? And we can think of this not just in terms of like learning lessons about discipline from our parents, but you think about this as a Christian is, okay, I learned the Ten Commandments. Okay, I can memorize those. And I can memorize Luther's small catechism, and we all should. Um, but we also know that it's very rare in life that the circumstances, you know, you're, you know, you're at work, and it's like, oh, this is obvious. The choice here is a choice between breaking the Second Commandment and keeping the Second Commandment. Right, there, you need to have wisdom on how to apply the law. And that is the, that's the whole process of maturity, going from just obedience, do, 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 do it, do it, do it, to, okay, how do I apply God's law? How do I apply the teaching of Christ to all the different scenarios that I face? And this, this, that's what Philemon does for us. It's like a test case in forgiveness, it's a test case in um, Christian love, okay? That's the basic thing of the book here. Now, a couple other things that are worth uh, noticing in this. Um, the first one, just so to reinforce that, look at verse 8. You get this, these two things set. I could do it by command, but instead, what is Paul going to do? I'm going to appeal. And the idea here is the appeal is better than the command. I could do it the easy way, but I want to do it the hard way, right? Because the hard, the hard way is better. And so his appeal, look at how he makes this appeal. Here's how it goes. Um, verse, verse 10, Paul says it this way. Here's me, Paul. Here's Onesimus. What's Paul's relationship to Onesimus? Yeah, we've got a father and we've got a son. We're talking spiritually here, right? Um, the Greek word there is even better. I begot him. 
I became his father. Fathers beget, mothers bear. That's the, those are the two words um, that come up that way in the Bible. So Paul has begotten Onesimus. And now look at verse 12. I am sending him back to you. And what does he call him? So Paul, is, Paul and Onesimus here are like one person. He is my very own heart. I'm giving you my heart. Please send it back. <laughs> I need that. <laughs> and this is, this is really beautiful because what this is saying is that the relationship between Paul, the teacher, and the Christian, Onesimus, is father and son. It is body and heart. And you think about some of the ways that uh, the New Testament talks about Jesus and the church. What are some of those ways? What is the church called in the New Testament? The bride of Christ. And we know that husbands and wives are one flesh, right? Head and body. So bride, the bride here is united to the husband. What's the other normal way that the church is talked about in the New Testament? The body of Christ. And so if we want to, if we want to love Christ, which we all want to love Christ, right? Well, I don't see him, but I see all of you. Right? I see all of you. And so if I want to serve Christ, who can, can I ignore you? Can I just say, well, I'm, I'm really just interested in Jesus. I really just love Jesus. And Hayes, you're just annoying, right? Um, you're always asking me stuff, right? You're always, you're always needing things. But Jesus never needs anything. He just gives me stuff. So I'm just going to pay attention to Jesus and ignore Hayes. What would Jesus say about that? Hey, you can't ignore my, you can't ignore my body, right? If you want to love me, you got to love my body. And now Paul, in Paul, we see that kind of on the next level down. Okay, Philemon, you want to love me? Love Onesimus. He's my very own heart, right? Um, and that, I just think there's something very um, profound here, very beautiful in this, the connection between teacher and student, um, Paul and Onesimus, and then also in how Philemon is going to care for Paul, because he's not going to care for Paul directly. He's going to care for Paul indirectly. Um, we can also talk about this in terms of marriage, right? If, um, if somebody, you know, it, it's one thing, if you want to show me how much you care about me, you can buy me a, a ticket to Malta. Um, but y you know what is, uh, husbands, you know this, when people honor your wife, that's almost even better, right, than getting, you know, I can take care of myself, but when you love my wife, that's deeply meaningful for a husband. Send her to Malta, and, and two, right? <laughs> Both of us, yeah, and take care of the kids while we're gone, okay? <laughs> but exactly, Mike, you read my mind. Very good. I don't say this as a command, but I appeal to you. <laughs> All right. Now, so you, you see this appeal. Um, and what Paul is doing here is, this is really great. What Paul is doing here is, um, he is basically, we're going to draw this again. He's saying, all right, here's Philemon. 
here's Onesimus. And the bond here, we talked about this on Sunday morning, there's like that string between Philemon and Onesimus, right? That string has been broken, it's been snapped. The cord's been severed. Whose fault was it? Yeah, Onesimus. Paul doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say, he just was misunderstood. He had a hard life. Um, you know, his dad didn't love him. It's always dad's fault, right? He had, he had father problems. His dad didn't love him. He was a slave. You know, that's a hard life. Paul doesn't say that. He says, you know, he was of no use to you. He was useless. Now he's useful. Now he actually is living up to his name. And what Paul does is he stands in between and he says, I'm going to bring you two together. Now, when, he does, when you hear that, somebody standing in between, what do we call that person who brings together two, a mediator? And when you, when you come into a church and you hear somebody talk about a mediator, who do you think they're talking about? Jesus, right? This picture... Here's the Father... Here's us. The cord has been broken, right? I, a poor, miserable sinner. Who brings us back? Jesus. And so now, you can see the, you can see the overlap. It's, like the, it's, it's just a copy-paste, and you change the names. Um, if I was talking about this mathematically, I would say it's a fractal. Um, if you know what fractals are. If not, I'm not going to explain it all here. Um, but um, Paul is a, th this relationship here is a miniature copy of this one. And you can even hear it in the way Paul talks about who's going to pay for what. Right? Look down at verse, um, look down at verse 17. Philemon, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. What do, we, what do I always tell you the great exchange means? Christ shares my place so that I can share his place. Paul shares Onesimus' place so that Onesimus can share Paul's place. Right? This is the great... Paul, Paul is doing for Onesimus what Jesus does for us. Um, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, I'll pay Charge it to my account, right? You might as well just hear Jesus saying that about you to God the Father, right? And the Father is, of course, very happy to have us back. And so Paul is very confident. Um, if you look at verse, um, where does he say, you're, I know you're going to do this? Verse 21 Confidence of, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Now again, this could be passive-aggressive, like, and if you don't, I'm gonna, you're going to be so embarrassed, Philemon, because I made copies of this letter, and all the other churches are getting the letter, right? Uh, so if, Roxy, if this was written by Roxy Tempest... We should read it that way. But since it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, let's avoid passive aggressiveness and just say Paul is really just speaking honestly here. He's speaking very forthrightly. Yes? You know, this verse 19 is, is kind of to bring back thought 
I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, how so? Bingo. Yeah, right on. And we can, you know, when we hear that parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus, that's a parable that you could see in the life of Jesus. Jesus is like the Good Samaritan. And then, but he also says, he doesn't say, this is what I'm going to do for you. He says, go and do likewise. So the life of Christ gets repeated in the life of the apostle. And the life of Christ provides the example or the pattern for the life of every Christian. So you could, you know, you could say, well, what is, so what is the, what does Philemon have to do with my life? Well, there's going to be times when you're in the role of Philemon and somebody sins against you. And you can say, well, look at how Philemon, not simply because he had to, but out of love, Philemon forgave Onesimus and even more. Right? I don't know what all, what even more was done, but he, re- he received Onesimus back. There's going to be times where you are the mediator between two people. And that's an important thing for Christians to do, to try to mediate, not to take sides. Yeah, Radonna, I can't believe what your mom said about you. She's <laughs> such a, right? You, we want to be the mediating force in the world. And there's going to be times where we are Onesimus in need of being brought back. Because Onesimus isn't mentioned much here, but imagine being Onesimus. You run away to Rome, you meet Paul, you get converted, you repent, your sins are forgiven, you think, oh man, this is, this is the best of every world. I'm free, it's forgiven, my past is behind me, and now Paul says, hey Onesimus, I'm sending you back. Oh, good. Does the letter say, set him free? No, no. I said I could have told him to do that, but I'm not going to do it that way. Imagine Onesimus. What, Paul? I thought you loved me, right? How come you're not just taking the easy way and saying, set him free? And Paul says, you'll see. It's going to be even better. And Onesimus has to trust that this, you know, that this is actually going to work Right? And that it is actually going to be good, that it's actually going to be better than just saying, hey, you know, just forgive him from far away. Or just pretend, you know, Philemon, pretend like it never happened, and I'll give you the money. Uh, but receive him back. Okay? Questions or thoughts here? Yes, Roxy. We don't know uh, by means of a story, but. I am very confident that, um, verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Yeah, I believe there's no, in my mind, there's no doubt that this worked. So let's look at what Paul actually says. I'm glad you you asked about that. What does Paul actually appeal to Philemon to do? Look what he says in verse um, 
Yes, look at verse 15. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. This is why God allowed this to happen. You know, Philemon, you've been losing sleep wondering, why did God let Onesimus run away and take all my money? That'd be something that you'd lose a little sleep over, right? Um, Here's why. In order that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So you're going to get him back, and I want you to, what's Paul telling him to do? Sounds like he's telling him, receive him not just as a bondservant, a slave, welcome him back as a beloved brother. Okay, so you're getting him back as a Christian, and it sounds like he's saying, set him free, give him his freedom. Now, it doesn't explicitly say that. It's possible that he could have received him back and just given him a new position in the household, right? We don't know exactly how the uh, household here is, is structured. Um, it's not necessary that he would have had to say, okay, you're, you're a free man now. But it seems to me that's what he's saying. Receive him back not just as a bondservant, but as a brother. And think of the difference. What's, you know, what's better, to have a, a bondservant? What would you rather have, a bondservant or a brother? Todd, how about you? Do you have brothers? <laughs> yeah, well, then you'd really want a brother, right? Um, what, think about what brothers do for you. They don't always obey you. Right? Slaves obey their masters, but brothers, they do it out of fear, right? Um, But brothers help out of sometimes obligation, but that's pretty close to love, right? (laughs) That turns into love after after a while. And so what he's saying is you're going to get him back. He's going to be useful to you, no longer based on fear of getting in trouble, but he's going to be useful to you because he's going to love you. And we want that love is better than, you know, the obedience of fear. And isn't that what Paul is doing with Philemon too? I could command this. I have every right to command it, but instead of our relationship being one of command and fear and obedience, we want it to be this mutual love. I think Philemon is all about love. Yes? Yeah. Yeah, Paul, the other thing that's interesting here is Paul is saying, I'm a pri-, he keeps saying, I'm a prisoner, which is kind of like being a slave. I have chains. I'm enslaved. I'm not free. Set Onesimus free. Right? And so Paul's life is interesting. The more he goes into the service of Christ, the, more, the harder his life gets, <laughs> the worse it gets for Paul. And so he ends up, nobody even knows who he is. Right? Everybody's like, I we've never heard of you. You're this famous apostle, but we don't know who you are. Um, and Paul's like, all right, good. Mission complete. I've become completely forgotten. The, this is the paradox of, of being a Christian. The more you are enslaved to Christ, the more you are free. The greater your liberty is. That's right on. Yeah. So wasn't a, a bond servant kind of 
different than just a slave back then? Um, the, the words are pretty interchangeable. Uh, a slave and a bond servant, pretty much the same thing. Okay. Now, Jim did mention, and we'll, we'll stop on this point. Jim mentioned, um, or somebody asked about, maybe it was Rich, um, the difference between you know, ancient slavery and the more modern type of slavery. Okay? Um, basic difference is this. This is not racial slavery. Right? Onesimus is not enslaved because he is of a different race than Philemon. Okay. Um, the other thing that's helpful to see here, um, the, the New Testament does not say, I know we mentioned this a minute ago, but if you look on your handout, if you look on the back side there, you can see what Luther says uh, about this whole thing. Uh, but look at number two. The letter to Philemon is an important document to illustrate the Christian attitude towards social problems. So the gospel doesn't um, automatically change every social institution. The gospel does not come in and say, all right, now that you're Christians, you have to set your slaves free. In fact, there's places where Paul says, slaves, obey your masters and be even better servants than you were before. Yeah, yeah, they were, house, they were members of the household, right? Um, they weren't, I don't I'm sure it wasn't pleasant. I'm sure it was open to the same kind of abuses as, you know, racial forms of slavery are. So it's not that I'm saying it was a good thing to be a slave, but it was, it was probably um, not exactly like we see in movies or, or depicted for us. Um, so on the one hand, the New Testament doesn't say slavery is automatically evil, needs to be changed right now. But you can see here in Philemon, the way that the gospel changes society is by first changing, how should we put this? Before it changes the outer world, what does the gospel change? The, the human heart. And once the heart is converted, then the life changes, the life follows. And that can be frustrating because that takes a lot of time, doesn't it? Um, and so instead of, this is why the, you know, in Emancipation Proclamation, all the slaves are free now by order of the President of the United States of America. Okay, did that solve all the problems? No. No, it created a lot of new problems, didn't it? Um, and that, so you need, sometimes you need the top-down approach, but the gospel here, um, and the way that the New Testament works, the way that the, the church transforms is much more, um, grassroots from the inside out is how the change goes. And that, this is a quote, I didn't write this, but, um, it is noteworthy that Paul does not plead for Onesimus's liberation. Whether he stays with Philemon or returns to Paul, Onesimus is to remain a slave. There is nothing like a movement to free slave. There is nothing like a movement to free slaves, even Christian slaves of Christian masters, either here or elsewhere in the New Testament. But a gospel which can say to the master of a runaway slave that he is to receive him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, has overcome slavery from within. 
and has therefore already rung, that should say rung, the knell of slavery. And so it's no wonder Paul can say both things. Slaves, be subject to your masters, but if you can attain your freedom, do it. Onesimus, I'm not going to command you that you have to set him free, but receive him back as a beloved brother. And if that, change, if that relationship changes between Philemon and Onesimus, then whether he's free or still a household slave is almost inconsequential because he's, he's going to be treated as a brother. Yes? Oh, that was a cross-reference. We can look at that in a minute. Questions on that or thoughts there? I think that, that just uh, go away with that point on your mind. When, you, when we think about how the church changes the world, how it, how it reshapes the world, um, Christ does, the gospel does have consequences. It does have implications that reach out into society, right? We're not you know, it's not like the church is sort of a holy huddle <laughs> uh, that has no interest in what's going on outside. But the way that we change things is uh, through this transformation process of change the heart and then everything follows after that. Okay? All right. Next week, we will look at, oh, I erased it. We'll look at another one of these captivity letters. We'll look at Ephesians. Okay, it's a little bit bigger. We won't be able to do all of Ephesians, um, but Ephesians is very important. Ephesians and Colossians are like twins. So if, we, if you read one, you, you re, you've read them both to some extent. Um, we're not going to do Colossians. We're just going to do Ephesians. Um, and then we'll look at Philippians and we'll end with 2 Timothy, I think. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son uh, who has taken our place that we may share his place with you, uh, both now by faith and forever in your kingdom. We pray that we also um, would receive those who have sinned against us, uh, even as Philemon did, Onesimus, as beloved brothers. Um, we would receive them back, um, not just temporarily being restored to one another, um, but permanently and eternally. Bless us as we go to our homes. Give us a safe night. Um, protect us from any um, storms, any rain and flooding. Uh, and we pray that you would give us strength for our day tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.